when I complete one painting, I'm usually thinking about what I'm going to paint next. And I'm thinking that I want it to be a different point of view or a different kind of subject matter. It's almost like if you're standing and looking in one direction and you paint something you see there, it's wanting the next thing to be, to be the thing that if you pivot 180 degrees, that's the next thing you do. So I'm really, I work hard at that because I don't want my paintings to start looking alike. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Lenaway. For today's 173rd episode, we're happy to have Barbara Marks on from Connecticut. We're going to talk all about her painting and her transition into painting, which is a very interesting story. So it's all coming up, of course. If you're listening for the very first time, I do want to encourage you to check out studiobreak.com. Again, each of our posts have images of the artist's work, links to their websites for more information. Of course, you can listen to our conversation right there in the default player, but many people just hit that iTunes link and subscribe to the podcast that way. So it's a great way to keep up to date, so please do that. Of course, you can find us in a number of social media formats, so please be sure to like our Facebook page. Again, we have updates there from time to time new episodes, opportunities, things like that. So please like our Facebook page. You can follow our Tumblr account. That's studio-break.tumblr. And, of course, you can always send your tweets to at Studio Break on Twitter. So please feel free to reach out, say hello. And with that out of the way, here is our interview with Barbara Marks. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Barbara Marks, how are you this morning? I'm great, David. It's wonderful to finally catch up. Yeah, yeah. I know we've been trying to book this for a little while. And before I forget, you could go to barbaramarks.com and see some of the artwork that we're going to be talking about. So it seems like you, you kind of came from a really creative family. So what was that like? And I guess where did you grow up and we can kind of move forward from there? I grew up in Westport, Connecticut, um, which is about an hour or so away from New York City. And um, my parents were both makers of things. My dad was a builder, um, carpenter, and um, craftsman. And my mom was played music and did a lot of like sewing and quilting and um, various other things. So, yeah, I, I guess I lived in a household that always had projects going and we were always encouraged to follow whatever it was that interested us. And, um, and we got a lot of support from our parents, my sister and brother and I, whatever it was we were interested in. And, yeah, so there was, you know, sort of an interest in craft and making things. You know, we did not buy cookies. You know, we made them. You know, we were li our family lived on a fairly limited budget, and my sister and I both learned to sew our own clothes. And um, so there's a lot of that, that that factors in, and then also an interest in the natural world. Mm -hmm. We spent a lot of time out of doors, and as a family, we took road trips. You know, in the summertime. You know, and my sister always felt that she was shortchanged because we never stopped at popular attractions like amusement parks. You know, instead we went to some state park that had dinosaur bones or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, we went, yeah, we always had these enrichment stops. And my sister felt like we were really missing out because we didn't get to, get to go to places like Santa's Land and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's interesting to think about maybe the way that 
you know, learning processes and, and techniques for things that maybe aren't art related kind of really uh, drive that same kind of creativity or, or experimentation maybe in the studio. Um, and again, I think it's interesting to think about how that couples with kind of, you know, being out and, and looking at things, because I think that also seems to kind of find a way into, you know, what you make now. I think so. And it's it's interesting because um, my my mother in particular, you know, was was um, had majored in science in music when she was in college, which is an interesting combination. And um, so she was someone that never, you know, you never looked at something and said, Ooh, what is that? Instead it was like, Oh, how interesting. What is that? I wonder why that works. I wonder um, what makes it look that way. And I think all three of us got as a result of that are fairly astute observers. I'm not just talking about human nature, but things that are going on around one in the natural world and a true appreciation for it. And I think when that thing, when that is so ingrained, I don't think it goes away. You know, in terms of just kind of thinking about those experiences of making and all that, was that something that you knew you wanted to do then? You know, I wanted to, I want to make stuff as opposed to fill out paperwork or calculate loan interest rates. (laughs) Throughout my growing up years, I had a number of equally strong interests. I was interested in foreign language. I was interested in music. In high school, I was heavily involved in our theater arts program. And mostly it was, I mean, not in the acting and performing part. I was a student director of our plays. You know, I worked on, you know, set painting and set design and and things like that. So when it came time to apply to colleges, I was really uncertain because I had several things that I was really interested in. And I ended up going to a small liberal arts college in Southern California. And um, it was an experimental college. You could design your own major, a lot of interdisciplinary stuff, which fed perfectly into my divergent or or varied um, areas of interest. And I ended up finding anthropology and thinking that that was probably the most interesting course of study because it was such a great way of looking at the world. Yeah, you could look at things comparatively or you could drill down and just look at one particular aspect of culture or civilization. I think in my interest in the social sciences at that point was something I, I mean, I really didn't know anything about and I started there, but I have always been fairly practical and I do like doing and making things. And so I fell into graphic design, um, just because I needed to find work to help pay for college. And I used some of the skills that I had learned in our theater arts program when I had worked on program design and silk screening posters and things and got a job as a, as what they then called like a paste up artist at a newspaper company. And that was sort of my first introduction to graphic design and that really, really interested me. I didn't really know anything about it. And I, then I got a job in a small ad agency in Connecticut one summer and learned a little bit more. And that kind of became like a parallel path. And eventually, I dropped out of school. I actually, I just didn't go back to school one year. I didn't think of it as dropping out because I'd, I'd landed a, a good job in a small design studio in New York. And I just felt like there was no hope for getting any kind of a decent paying job in anthropology. So I just sort of, I just followed the practical side. 
And that's how I ended up going into graphic design and finding my way through that field from um, working on advertising, corporate collateral material, publication design, and realizing that publication design was what interested me the most. And um, I didn't like the sort of disposability of newspapers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought something more permanent like magazines could be interesting. And then that wasn't so interesting because it was the same design that you were working with all the time, the same format. And then I thought maybe book design would be interesting. You know, all of these things are like not knowing anything about this before I got into them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> someone, someone once said to me, you know, for some people, life is a ladder and for other people, it's a jungle gym. Mm-hmm. And I'm the life is a jungle gym part. <laughs> No, it's really I, interesting. I really do, I don't go for, I don't, I don't sort of say, well, what's the next logical step? You know, I pretty much follow my nose. And if something is interesting, I you know, stick a, you know, stick one foot in. And, and if it's even more interesting, that kind of, you know, gets me engaged in something. So, I mean, I had no idea. I didn't even know what graphic design was when I started out. And then I spent my entire career and started my own business as a, you know, with a book design studio working for mainstream book publishers. And it was great. But I had never had a tr- had any training in, you know, truly in the fine arts in painting and drawing. You know, the eye hand thing, you know, where you actually you see something and you try to draw or paint it. I had no experience in that. And I'd always you know, had this nagging, nagging desire to try it. And I finally did. And that just, again, turned everything around. I took one class one summer and thought I have just scratched the surface of something that could sustain me for the rest of my life in terms of my interest. It just, it, it was, it was a real life changer. And at that point, after taking the one class and I thought, I want to find some other place to take a serious you know, take to take a serious drawing or painting class. And there was a small art college half an hour from where I lived. And they allowed non-matriculating students to, if there was room to be in, you know, one of their, you know, one of their serious classes. And I took one class and then another, and then I applied and left my business behind and went to school full-time for four years. It's got a, and, and again, it's interesting to hear you describe that idea of it, you know, being like a jungle gym, because I'm sure... You know, you're learning on the fly when you're working as a, a designer. In in some regards, though, it sounds like there's, you know, certain limitations in that. And so I would imagine, you know, going from something where you're limited to maybe like color schemes and, you know, formats uh, to being kind of like open-ended, you know, like painting is like this um, just endless thing. Well, yeah, um, I think that the... The things that that have benefited me as a painter from my profession as a graphic designer, when I started art school, there were people that said, oh, well, this should be so easy for you. You've been doing graphic design for all these years. And I said, no, 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 no. Some things, yes, like composition. I mean, I've spent years arranging things, you know, type and images on a rectangle on a page. And so things like composition and pacing, you know, thinking about how do you lay out a 600 page book and make every page interesting. Things like that were really helpful. Color, I had had, again, that was the lim- the thing that was so interesting is, you know, when you're dealing with the limitations of a printing press and what colors you can use or how many colors you can use, um, spot color versus process color, 
you know, trying to, to make a limited palette go a long way, I think were things that um, have, have in the end have, I think, helped me strengthen my skills in using color. But I would say that when I got to art school and started painting and had this array of colors out there and realizing you could use anything you wanted and mix anything you wanted, um, that kind of was like an explosion for a while. And then it sort of settled down. So definitely the, the difference between working in a creative field but having to satisfy a client or a market is very different from you know, working in your studio. And when people ask you that question, say, so who do you paint for? You know, the answer is I paint for myself. Mm-hmm. If other people like it, that's great. But I'm painting for myself and I'm not painting something because someone said you should paint flowers. You should paint landscapes. You know, I paint what I want the way I want to paint it. And I really don't want to be pigeonholed. I'm curious then, you know, one of the things that we kind of maybe didn't talk too much about in in terms of your coming to art is maybe um, exposure to art growing up. Did you did you wind up going to a lot of museums? No, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, Growing up, I mean, we didn't have a lot of art books, but we had some, and there was certainly an awareness of, you know, the greats. I mean, I can remember when, I think it was when I was pretty little, the Pieta came to New York, you know, and you, and you went to see it. I think it might have been at the World's Fair. Yeah, you know, my mother took us to that. I think there, were, there was, you know, the King Tut exhibition, you know, sort of blockbuster things we went to, but as a, as generally, probably because my father wasn't particularly interested in art. We didn't go to you know, into New York City to go to art museums as a family or anything like that. And I think my first real introduction to looking at art was my first trip to Europe when I was 19. And um, going into a museum, I think it was probably in Germany, and seeing a Bruegel for the first time. And I probably had had a little postcard that I'd collected from something of, you know, one of his winter scenes, you know, tiny little postcard, and then walking into this museum and seeing the real thing, you know, something that I had looked at every day on my desk, you know, my schoolgirl's desk, and and all of a sudden thinking, oh my gosh, you can, you know, like, you can actually go and see all these things. And that first trip to Europe, I spent a lot of time just going to museums. In fact, I went to Oslo, because I had a Eurail pass, I went to Oslo just simply to see some Munch paintings. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's funny that sort of awakening that I had when I, that really wasn't until I was in my 20s. But then, you know, being really very preoccupied with my design work, I really didn't spend a lot of time looking at art and educating myself. So my first art history class was a, an eye-opener and just fantastic. And, um, and I guess I haven't really, I haven't stopped looking ever since then. But it seems like it's almost like an advantage then to kind of like come at it from a, a place where you don't have these maybe, um, attachments, uh, to things, you know, to kind of like really allow you to kind of, you know, pursue what you're really interested in. And I guess just to kind of think about it relative to the time, were you kind of, uh, painting abstraction at the time or what, what is it, did it look like, uh, in terms of like at the, at the beginning of that process, I guess, in terms of. Um, you know, painting and, and being in that formal setting? Well, the, the, the first class that I took, I actually, I sort of took it on a 
challenge on a dare from a friend of mine who was asking me what this was in on new year's day at the turn of the millennium. And she said, what are you going to do different this year? And I said, well, you know, I keep thinking about taking a class in drawing or painting. I sort of don't know where to start, you know, which should come first. You know, I would just love to try that. And she is an artist and she said, well, take my class this summer. And I said, well, what's that? She said, well, I teach uh, intensive painting workshop at Wesleyan University and, um, you know, you ought to take it. And I said, but I've had no experience whatsoever. And she said, it doesn't matter. Just get in there and paint. Some of the people in my class will have been painting for 20 years and some of them won't have done a thing. So I signed up for her class and it was not skills-based at all. It was really like no holds barred, just get in there and paint. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a good thing. Um, because I was not intimidated, but when I got frustrated, my not being able to make something work the way I, you know, envisioned it, I realized that a lot of that frustration came from having no skills. The art school that I ended up going to simply because it was half an hour from my house turned out to be a very, a very young, very new school, but it was steeped in the Beaux-Arts academy traditions. And it was um, very much figurative based. In fact, half of our course requirements were life drawing. And, um, you know, I got there thinking I could care less about drawing or painting the human form. Well, that changed once I learned, you know, once I got into it. But I was grateful to be in a place that was skills based, because I really had no skills when I started. And, um, and that was very good. So everything we did there was based on direct observation. All the work was representational. At the time, the faculty was pretty, pretty strict about the accuracy of representing in your work what you saw. So there's a lot of, you know, a fing you know fingers don't look like that. Um, is that what you really see? You know, measuring and all of that stuff. And uh, it was great and exciting in the beginning, and then when I sort of started to feel constrained and started to be a little bit more expressive in the work, which got a little bit messy, it was it was kind of hard hard to figure out how I guess how I wanted to paint. On the one hand, it was exciting to learn skills and like labor for hours and hours over a small painting of an apple and have it turn out to be something where you felt someone else would look at it and feel like they could reach in and take that apple right out of the painting. So there was kind of, there was something kind of magical about saying like, Oh, I know how to do that. But then trying to wriggle out of that and figure out what it was that really interested me. And I think you know, in the end, it really has been abstraction in the sense of economy of expression um, not overall gestural abstraction. And it took a while for me to kind of work through the sort of explosive, brushy, painterly paintings and start sort of narrowing my focus and being a little bit more, a little bit more judicious in what I chose to include in a painting. And that's taken a lot of time. And I think that it's like growing, you know, you think that you know, you're never going to grow that inch and eventually you do, but you can't make yourself, it just has to happen. And I sort of feel that my work has evolved and it hasn't happened really quickly. And I think that's probably good because I feel that with every step, I feel that the work gets 
for me, it gets stronger and sort of more like a complete statement. And it's just taken time to get there. Well, and thinking about the relationship of, you know, studying between, you know, your undergraduate and graduate degree, was that something that kind of really took hold then when you, when you did start your graduate degree? Or did you feel like you were kind of narrowing that focus a little bit as you kind of completed your BFA degree? Well, first of all, when I took my first class at the Lyme Academy of College of Fine Arts, which is where I went to school, I had no intention at all of applying there and becoming a full-time student. So when I did, that kind of took me by surprise, and I realized I was in for this amazing, you know, very challenging uh, four-year intense BFA education. And partway through that, when there were outside people that came in and talked about, you know, what after graduate school, I mean, what after art school, you know, do you go on to get an advanced degree? Do you get a teaching certificate? Do you try to get a job? All that stuff. And I was thinking, I don't need to get a job. I've already done that part of it. And then people talked about their grad school experiences. And we had a panel discussion of, you know, of, um, MFA grads. And it occurred to me that graduate school actually might be something I could consider. And, I, I did, part of it was the challenge of it was there and could I apply and get in somewhere? And the other was hearing people talk about the importance of community within the art, within your art world, and also the difference between the skills that you learn in a BFA program and then getting out and trying to develop your voice and that the graduate school discussion is very different from the undergraduate school discussion. And a lot of it has to do with your intent. And um, when I heard that, I thought that that would be a really good thing for me and would probably strengthen my work and probably, you know, push me, you know, shake me up in some good ways without the kind of shake up of skills-based criticism that I had in the BFA program. So I felt that, you know, maybe, maybe I could accelerate my, you know, sort of sharpening my, both my skills and focusing my voice and hand as an artist in a graduate school environment. And that, that did turn out to be, it met my expectations. Well, and so I guess just to kind of make sure that people have some idea in mind, um, what, what kind of things were you painting when you maybe started graduate school? Well, Actually, I'm going to back up to the BFA again because I think this actually this ends up being germane. Is I didn't know what I wanted to paint in terms of subject matter. I really didn't care. I mean, I, it, landscapes interested me, still lifes interested me. You know, the figure interested me. But in our painting one class in foundation year, we were we had a actually it was our color and composition class. Yeah, you know, we would be given these assignments that had to do with composition. And the first couple assignments, I spent more time agonizing over what to paint to satisfy the compositional part of the assignment until one time I painted a carton, empty carton of half and half, you know, little, you know, one of those little you know, cardboard containers. And it just freed me up. And so for the rest of the semester, all I did was paint that half and half carton. Whatever the assignment was, I used the half and half carton. Then I went on to bowls. From there, I went on to pears. I painted pears, the fruit, 
I painted pears for an entire year. It's all I painted was pears. Every assignment I used a pear or pears. And so it's, it got interesting when I started painting for my BFA thesis project flowers. Part of why I chose flowers was for the color. And the other was that no one was going to tell me how many petals a daisy had or a tulip had. So it allowed me to become more expressive. And then I got to graduate school painting flowers and there I got a lot of questioning and flack about flowers and whether that was women's work and domesticity and mm-hmm. you know choice of subject and all of that kind of stuff. But I think what, what I discovered was that I'm someone who typically takes a single subject and explores it in series to some point until I'm done with that. And so it wasn't until my second year in graduate school that I... I, well, I was still painting some flowers, but I sort of branched out and did a thesis project of 60 paintings with varying subjects and varying ways of painting them from things that were overall gestural, totally abstract to sort of precise little paintings of you know, interior scenes or um, a landscape. So it was sort of all over the place, but I was interested in unifying my series by shape, you know, square and size. So all of the paintings were the same size, 16 by 16 inch squares. But that was the first time where I sort of played with a series where the subject was not the constant. And then after graduate school, I went back to single subjects again. I painted cakes. I painted rocks. Uh, I went to Italy and I painted these little utilitarian structures in the landscape. I started painting um, lakes. So it was sort of the same, again, the same subject until at some point I felt like I was done with it or tired of it. And now the latest series, uh, Recollection, which I've been working on for the last year and I see is going on for years, is a varied subject matter, but sort of a more economic, abstract way of painting, you know, sort of teetering between geometric abstraction and representational abstraction. And the commonality again is the shape square, but I'm varying the sizes because I realized I needed some variation within the unity of the square. Yeah, it's very interesting. I don't know if that answers your question. No, no, definitely, definitely. So you're just mentioning these um, kind of like building paintings um, in Italy. I'm curious then, like in terms of the process then, is that something where you're going out and painting? Is that something that you're painting from photographs or, you know, combining them from memory? Or what's the, the process of, you know, maybe how you work and uh, around that time? And maybe we can kind of talk about how that, you know, has changed into the present. Yeah, I, I, you're referring, I know you're referring to the um, Cazetta suite, uh, the Cazetta paintings, which are on my website. I went to southern Italy, Puglia, which is the the heel of the boot of Italy. And um, I spent three months in a very small artist residency, international artist residency in a tiny town. And I got there, uh, well, like I approach every new place that I go to, I have no preconceived notions about what I'm going to paint or what interests me. And the first little group of paintings that I did there, um, which are not on my website, were architectural details of the buildings that I saw in this little town. 
where I just zoomed in on like one little aspect. It could have been a door frame and a piece of molding or something. And those were little geometric abstractions. And I did nine of those paintings. And then I sort of thought, well, I'm done with that. And I got out into the landscape and I walk every day, no matter where I am. And so I look and I look and I look, and I often walk a same route. So eventually things, there's a familiarity. So when I'm painting something, it's something that I have seen many times. Now I came out of a school that, you know, landscapes were, you know, made from direct observation, you know, plein air painting. And I was not really interested in that anymore. So I got very interested in painting these these little buildings in the Italian landscape and not wanting to drag my easel out there. I wanted to be doing these as studio paintings. And I realized that I was not interested in painting every little detail in the landscape. And I was also interested in moving away from the colors I saw and more into the colors that I felt. And so I started working with taking photographs and not looking at the photograph anymore, looking at the drawing and transferring the drawing to my canvas, putting the drawing away, and then just started to paint in the shapes. But obviously the, I'd, you know, I'd seen these scenes, so I knew, I mean, I knew what I was painting. It wasn't like an arbitrary, you're painting geometric shapes any which way. It was building a painting from what I had remembered, what I had seen, and kind of how I wanted that painting to appear in terms of its own little color world. So I think the real shift in this body of work was, one, the, the abstraction in terms of the economy of shapes and what things I chose to include in a painting, and also building a color world within a painting that didn't rely on what was actually there. Maybe starting from something like an air, something that had a tree shape, and yes, maybe I painted it green, but then maybe if I painted that green, the sky area should not be blue. So I was starting to think very specifically about what a painting needed, you know, what that particular painting needed in terms of what color where, and not about what color should this be in terms of you know, what that area of the painting was. And I was painting in oils at that point. So I was you know, mixing colors. I was very interested in you know, progressions of color, like within a whole sky shape, you know, slight and subtle movements and changes in, in color that sometimes can take on an atmospheric quality or um, sometimes you know, working with space, just you know, flat space, not illusionistic space, but flat space that can look deep or shallow depending on the colors you use and where you use the colors. So I think that that series, which took place over three months, and then I came back to the States for a while, and then I went back for two more months and continued to paint these casetas, these buildings. And uh, so that was five months of really intense working through things. And I think all the work I've done since then, I could go back and say this, you know, this shift in my work happened during that period of time. Yeah. It's especially interesting to think about that process, you know, cause you're kind of, 
you know, experiencing in that and then distilling it another way and then distilling it another way. And then ultimately kind of like allowing the, you know, the painting to kind of be its own thing. It is that way, especially for me, because my idea, actually, even from the beginning, I realized that I'm not the kind of person that has in my head what this finished painting should look like when I start it. And I have painter friends that know exactly what they're after, and they spend the whole time working on on a painting to get it to what they imagined it should look like. I don't have that mental picture in my head at all. And you know, I, I sort of start at, I start at some point, it's almost like the first mark I put down or the first color I use is what sets everything in motion. And there are times when I can paint an entire painting and go back and realize the thing that has to change is the first thing I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because of things responding, you know, parts responding to other parts, responding to other parts. So it becomes a, a real, I mean, kind of a really interesting puzzle. What would be a series, I guess, that acted maybe as a, as a bridge to kind of maybe explore some of the more object-based things and the interior uh, things? Because it seems like, again, objects, interior spaces, and landscapes are something that kind of come into play in terms of the current work. The one thing that I'm not really doing anything of now, at least not that I – well, hasn't, hasn't found its way into my paintings, is um, anything having to do with the human form. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple that – that uh, at least one that is in my blue city series, but that's the one thing that I miss that doesn't have a place in my current work. So yes, I would say that interiors, landscapes and still life kind of situations are the, the sort of the three things that are populating, you know, my current body of work. So again, you, you kind of uh, returned to to Rome again and maybe hinted that that might have, a, again, um, some magical impact in, in terms of your work. Um, so when you went back, what, how, did that, how did that shift things again? I've been a visiting artist at the American Academy in Rome twice. First time was in 2011, and it was after, it was in the fall of the year that I'd spent two months in southern Italy continuing to paint the, the, um, the Italian landscape. And so I ended up in Rome, still interested in the landscape, and painted a series of, or actually a series of drawings and a few paintings of the um, sort of iconic pine trees that you see all over the city of Rome, the stone pines. And so that was, again, single subject exploration. Then I came back, you know, been back in the States, continued to work on other series, rocks, cakes, lakes, things like that. And then I went back to Rome in the end of 2015. I was there for six weeks, December, January. So I got back just about a year ago, almost a year ago. I thought I was going to be working in this abstraction with the, with rock shapes and things, but I ended up you know, being in Rome and walking the city and spending time in my studio and looking at what interested me. And I did a mix of paintings there that are some of them are clearly landscapes and interiors and they're fairly uh, it's pretty fairly obvious what's in them and then some of the other paintings are much more abstracted and that series of work was you know I would I was questioning myself and saying wait a minute are you re- are you regressing here when you're painting a landscape that's obviously a landscape you know saying to myself I thought you were going somewhere else with this and then I just thought, don't swim against the current. Just, 
just paint what just paint what you need to paint and see what happens. And so I did a series of 30 paintings while I was there, almost in free association. And the subject matter varies, the way they're painted. Uh, there's less range because um, they're all fairly much based on shape and color. And, um, and I came back from that intense period of time and thought, well, what am I going to do next for subject matter? I think what I can reflect on and work from is the fact that I did this series of paintings that shared a common shape and size, and but the subject matter was varied. But the way of painting was fairly consistent. And so I thought about that a bit and started working on some paintings for a show I had coming up in Connecticut. And I didn't want to use the Rome paintings because they were on paper and I didn't want to have to go to the trouble and expense of framing them all. Um, so that pushed me to start painting again on panel. And, um, so I started to see, and I thought there, all these paintings are going to be small eight by eight inch paintings. I'm going to make dozens of them and see what happens to a series that has a variety of subjects, but is constantly small, square, and painted in a similar way. And so I did about, I don't know, 25 or 26 of these paintings and showed them and realized that I needed to keep going, but I was going to branch out and paint in different sizes, still square, still fairly small. But I started realizing I needed to work on pacing with respect to the size of the painting. That after a while, it was just too much to see, you know, what I hope to be hundreds of paintings exactly the same size. And I realized this series could just keep on, could keep on going. And I really, then I started thinking about people who have worked in series like Jennifer Bartlett with her Rhapsody, huge piece of hundreds and hundreds of of works that are painted on, um, on a grid that she applied to some metal panels. And, you know, and I started thinking about what about a series that really, uh, doesn't end. It, it just keeps building. And how do I keep it interesting since I work from my subject matter is always the quotidian and the local. I mean, there's no end to things I can see where I am here in Connecticut and, most of my paintings will probably come from subject matter here, or if I happen to be, you know, in New Haven or New York City. I mean, there, there are plenty. This, there's plenty of material, but what I'm finding is really interesting is you know going to a residency somewhere and having a whole you know new set of colors and smells and sights and sounds and. I'm really enjoying having these little, these little sort of subsets, little chapters within a longer book, if you want to call it that, that is very place centric, very place specific. And that's where the um, recollection paintings from Virginia you know, came from. And again, a continuation of the things I've been doing here in Connecticut, but in my studio, 
you know, the, the resources in a different place really produce different paintings. Yeah. One of the things that I'm kind of curious about it then too is, you know, you maybe have like, say, you know, a dozen panels that are all kind of prepped. Are you kind of like working through them one by one or are you kind of like working on them as a group and, and editing? I, I would imagine maybe some of them come quick and some of them are like months and <laughs> repainting and editing. And Well, I generally paint one painting at a time. An exception was in Virginia, I, I went there with some panels to paint on. They were larger 16 by 16 inch panels. And I had those to paint on, but I also sort of, I told myself I wanted to, to paint a small painting a day for every, every day I had there in the studio. And, um, and what happened is those small little five, five inch by five inch paintings on paper took a lot of time because I paint very carefully and deliberately. So they just don't happen fast. And, um, so I really had to push myself. So throughout that time I painted one little painting a day and then I worked on the larger 16 by 16s. Um, so in the end I had, I guess, 18 paintings that I did in, in less than two weeks, but then I came back, you know, came back to my studio here and my general studio practice is, to paint one painting at a time. Some of them happen quickly and some of them, you know, take much more time. And a lot of it, you know, just has to do with, with the editing process within a particular painting. How much information do I need to, you know, still keep somebody engaged, but not, not have it be, not, not spell everything out in the same painting. So there's that editing process. And then the other part of editing has to do with working in series and how you think about the role of an individual within the aggregate of the whole. It's not so much as how things fit, but it's not wanting to repeat yourself and wanting to you know, keep the ideas fresh. And I think I definitely have in mind when I complete one painting, I'm usually thinking about what I'm going to paint next. And I'm thinking that I want it to be a different point of view or a different kind of subject matter. It's almost like if you're standing and looking in one direction and you paint something you see there, it's wanting the next thing to be, to be the thing that if you pivot 180 degrees, that's the next thing you do. So I'm really, I work hard at that because I don't want my paintings to start looking alike. Well, and is that something that also will be determined by, by color choices too? Like maybe, you know, what happens when I just leave, you know, this white expansive field or how minimal it is versus painting something that has like some acidic line green that's, you know, eating up half the composition. <laughs> again, I'm just kind of curious because it's so, again, it's very interesting to see the range, uh, especially of colors. And as a color uh, person, you know, I'm especially kind of interested in, you know, hearing a little bit more about that. There aren't too many colors that I that I could really say I dislike. Mm -hmm. So I rely on the entire spectrum when I paint. And I know that there are colors that I prefer or seem to have a preference for. And again, I think working in series of any sort, but particularly a series like this that I see as ongoing and eventually having hundreds of paintings in this series is being conscious of not getting in a rut, either compositionally or subject wise or color wise. 
I keep track of the colors I use for every painting. And I also will force myself. I mean, it's not difficult. I don't mean like painfully force myself, but if I've used, you know, so a color in the last couple paintings, I, I look at that color and I say that, you know, you're, you have to stay away from that pink for the next like three or four paintings. Like that's not going to appear for a while. And there are times when I, where I actually take, you know, jars or tubes of paint and I, I quarantine them. <laughs> they, I put them aside and I don't reach for them. And, you know, and I make myself use other colors, you know, instead of saying, oh, I'm going to rely on that acid green. It's like, mm -mm, nope, <laughs> no acid green in this painting. <laughs> you know, you're out of the pool for a while. So I, I'm very conscientious of that. And is the, the surface of some of these paintings, is that like literally the, the layering of the paint and, and editing color choices? Or is that something that's, you know, built up in terms of, you know, like gesso or, you know, having like a ground to work on? I start with panels that are just the, the, the bare wood. And I put a coat of primer on it first, which I paint on, and I sand it lightly. And then I do a coat of gesso, which I paint on and also sand lightly. And when I apply the paint in both of those layers, you know, the primer uh, and the, you know, this is like house paint primer mm -hmm. and the gesso, I sort of feel that that's my first, those are my first layers of the painting. So there are definitely, there are brush marks, brush strokes from the gesso that start out giving the paintings a, a, a surface that has some, contour, you know, some tooth to it. And then as I build up the paint, and I'm working in two types of water-based paint. One is acrylic gouache, which is, it's, it's gouache, but it's got some acrylic in it. So it does hold a brush stroke. It has some, it has some physicality to it and it's opaque. And then I'm working in flash, which is also water-based, but has vinyl in it. And it dries, both of them dry quite hard. And they both, you can, you can paint them super flat or you can also paint them on thickly. And if you leave the application, you know, thick, it'll dry like that way, which I really like. Every brush stroke I care about, I paint with fairly small brushes and I really, I'm, I, you have to love every brush stroke basically. So I care about how I paint in a shape, even if it's a big shape that appears to be the same color. I don't apply the paint haphazardly. And then when I paint over a shape in another color, sometimes because I've changed my mind, sometimes um, because a color doesn't work next to an adjacent color and something has to change. So when I'm layering one color on top of another, that builds up the surface. I'm not doing that intentionally. It's, it's just, it's part of the process. So there may be some, as, some layer areas of a painting that just have one layer of paint on top of the gesso. And there are others that have layers of color. And in some cases, I put down a color with the intention of putting another on top of it that won't cover it completely. So I can create line by just layering areas of color, or I can let parts of another layer show through. And so that's intentional too. Yeah. I was going to say that that transparency is really nice in some of them where you can kind of see, you know, some of these under layers or even just like these little, you know, hints of other colors. And again, it's interesting to think about the range 
yeah, little flex, little flecks of color that, that, you know, there are little flecks of color that will, you know, that will, that will sort of shine through and you might not see it from across the room. But I think this is something that's always been important to me. One of my early teachers had said, you want the viewer to look at your painting and then maybe they turn away and then they nah, I got to look at that one again. And maybe they walk closer. And so you want them to be rewarded from what they see from a distance. But then when you get up close to it is not say like, oh yeah, that's what I thought that was. Instead it's like, oh, look at that. You know, there's another color there or there's a little, you know, some scraping or some texture or a line that you maybe didn't notice from far away, but you noticed up close. So it's something that, you know, like, that grabs you. And um, so I'm interested in you know, areas that are one color that hopefully there's some interest in that area, whether it's how the paint was applied or what's lurking beneath the surface that you maybe didn't see. You know, like sometimes you're just working on something that doesn't feel like it's coming together, but it just strikes me that you're producing so many pieces that maybe it's just a matter of kind of getting it to work out. Um, do you think of them as super precious, I guess, is what I'm kind of getting at? Or is it something where you just kind of allow it to be what it is and I'm going to resolve this thing? I mean, all, I think they, they all have a life of their own. And, um, and there really is that point at which I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the painting needs, you know, not what I want to make it be, but like what, what does it need or like what more does it need or what can be removed, what doesn't need to be there. And I think writers often talk about um, killing your darlings Mm-hmm. And um, one of my painting teachers um, had said, if, you know, if you're wondering what's not working about your painting, go to the part of the painting that, that you're most in love with, and that's probably where the problem is. I, you know, I, I take those um, little pieces of advice to heart, and I think what comes from having worked as a book designer for many years as a, as a you know, freelance or independent you know, contractor where you don't have a boss sitting over your shoulder, you know, tr- you know, helping you figure out what something needs. You have to solve your own problems is that I have, I think I have brought with me to my paintings, the ability to work on something that I think, you know, is really good. And then to step back and say, okay, it can't be that perfect. You know, what does it need? What, what kind of work does, what more does it need? And I know that comes from not, liking it when I would send something to a client and actually I might've had a lingering doubt about something, but thought, Oh, what the heck I'll send it to them anyway. It's a good design. And then what they come back and nitpick on is something that you admit to yourself, you knew wasn't quite right yet, but you send it anyway. So I think I have that. I try to apply that to my paintings. Probably I'm not as hard on myself as I could be. Although I think I'm pretty critical, self-critical, I don't mean in a bad way, but you're really standing back and uh, I'll, I'll turn a painting upside down. I will turn off all the lights in the studio and look at it in really low light to try to see if it's work, if it's really working. I have strategies for trying to make sure that I can look at my work as objectively as possible. I mean, you can't unknow what you did, but there are ways of looking at your work from a different perspective that help me at least figure out if I think the painting is working and has the things that, that it needs. And I really do stick with these paintings. I mean, there are some that I can tell you, I spent a lot of time just sitting and staring at trying to figure out what color should go in that one last piece of you know shape that wasn't painted yet. And I can spend hours looking at that 
and then walking away and taking a long walk and saying, I'm tired of this. And then all of a sudden it works. But I really do stick with the paintings until I think there is complete a statement as I'm capable of making. Yeah, it's interesting to think about how that um, that process will, you know, inevitably continuing to be, you know, changed and, you know, added to in terms of, you know, you're going to do a residency somewhere or, you know, maybe you're traveling and that's something that maybe kind of finds its way into kind of, you know, refreshing it, but then also kind of take it in a, a slightly different direction. Because I think, again, we're all, our interests are always kind of, you know, slowly evolving, even if we're not always necessarily conscious of them. And I, I think, again, painting is a perfect place to kind of explore that, you know. It is. I, I mean, I just feel that that there's something of interest everywhere around me. I mean, even on my cluttered desk that I'm sitting at, I could make a lot of paintings out of just, you know, what's within five feet of my, of my head right now. You know, I could make something out of all of this stuff. To me that it just, it really, I guess, you know, the, the world is endlessly interesting in that respect. And, um, what I like though, is the, the freshness of being in a different place where you have a, a whole bunch of new things to look at. And I think there's nothing like looking at things, you know, with looking at things that are unique to you for the first time, what, what it is that strikes you about something that makes it interesting and trying to remember that and saying, you know, this is, this is what I'm interested in painting. I mean, in a way it's like I'm in my paintings, I'm showing you, you know, my glimpses of the world, the way I see things, you know, and, and every one of these paintings, um, you know, I could, I could tell you, where the imagery came from and it and it might not be obvious and that's fine because I don't want someone to say oh that's what that is Um, that's not the point of it but every one of these things you know I could tell you exactly what I was looking at to come up with the composition that I painted some would be obvious you know because you know you could identify a windowsill and a flower, you know, a stem and something on it. So you're pretty sure that that's a flower, but then there are others of these paintings that, you know, you, it would be hard for you to guess what I was looking at when I painted them. Well, I think that's something that makes them really inviting for someone to look at, you know, because like you maybe kind of pointed out a number of times, there's going to be something that people, you know, gravitate towards or see or, you know, and again, it, it kind of elicits, I think painting elicits that, you know, kind of response for, for people to kind of come at it from a different perspective or their perspective, you know, and try to figure out, figure out something about it. That's what interests me. And it's just that I, I, I only, I title these paintings simply with the name of the series. And then in this case, you know, what number it is. And, and at some point, again, this is all like, you know, making decisions as things are progressing, but you know, I may want to label things, you know, have, have sort of sub-chapters. So it's Recollection Virginia or Recollection Wyoming, you know, Connecticut, something like that. But I don't know if, you know, other than just sort of identifying vaguely like where something, you know, wh- where the imagery came from, I don't think I want to be any more specific than that because I'd rather that the viewer look at something and interpret it. And, and I think maybe that's also something that interests me is the suggestion of a narrative, you know, that maybe these paintings might evoke a narrative from the viewer, you know, what they see in it. You know, there's, there's enough that someone could s- suggest what it might be rather than just, 
a complete overall abstraction that's just an explosion of color or an arrangement of geometric shapes that don't suggest you know anything else but say the shape that they are. I'm kind of interested in the describability of things without just using nouns, you know, without using proper nouns, things like that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and again, I think you've, uh, left us, uh, with plenty to think about. So, um, very interesting. Is, is there anything coming up in the near future that you're particularly excited about? I have a residency for the month of May at the Brush Creek Foundation in the high plains of Southern Wyoming. So that's going to be a really, I think a really interesting uh, place to be a beautiful place to be. And, I'm very excited to see what kinds of paintings come out of that. But a whole month there, I, you know, I could see coming back with, you know, 20 or 30 paintings if I'm lucky. Yeah. And again, I, I think that's an interesting way to keep, you know, everything fresh, you know, traveling, seeing some of these places that you, you know, get to experience and, and see how that might kind of be, you know, put into the work some ways. And it sounds like, again, that's always been something that's kind of, you know, an interest to you in terms of just being out and observing and, you know, seeing how those experiences can, you know, enrich your, your life. And in this case, your painting, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's wonderful because wherever I go in the world, it gives me an entry point into anywhere I go. It's a wonderful way to look at the world when you're looking and at the same time, wondering what it is that's here that you're going to want to depict in some way. And I think that's the exciting part of it is, you know, you just, you're, you're sort of on, your senses are on high alert, you know, when you're, I think when you're an artist. Also, are there any uh, exhibitions that you have coming up that you're also, you know, looking forward to or? Coming off of a couple exhibitions now, group shows, but I'm a member of the painting center in New York city. I'm an artist member. We're a nonprofit artist run gallery in Chelsea and I will have a two-person show there at, uh, next spring, a year from now. And so I'm, I'm definitely working with that in mind. And I think the biggest challenge is going to be the editing process of what I choose from what will then probably be a couple hundred paintings in this series, <laughs> what I'm going to choose to show. So I'm excited about that. It should be an easy task, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not going to be easy to make those choices. But hopefully I'll have some some help with that because it's that's when it's it's good to have another another pair of eyes, you know that that will help you curate your own work. Well, again, it's, it sounds very exciting, and um, I want to thank you again for taking the time to uh, you know share share with us a little bit about that process. Again, it's very interesting to think about and maybe go on uh, from here to to see how that might fit into the studio. So, yeah, well, thank you so much for inviting me. This has been great. Thanks again to Barbara for joining me. Of course, you definitely want to go check out her art. Again, there's tons of paintings, drawings up at barbaramarks.com. So go there for more information. Let me also thank you for listening. Again, I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. As I said earlier, there are plenty to check out if this is your first time visiting Studio Break. So please visit studiobreak.com. Check out some of the other artists that you might have missed out on. Again, there's a lot of episodes there. So you can 
visit our archives, which is on the left sidebar, or once again, hit that iTunes link, subscribe to the podcast, and if you got some time, please feel free to leave us some comments, some feedback. It uh, just generally helps people find this podcast, and of course, you can also do that by sharing the heck out of it on your social media, so please feel free to follow us in our social media platforms. Again, like our Facebook page, share our posts. You can do that. You can also follow us on Tumblr. That's studio-break.tumblr. And last but not least, you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Studio Break. You can send all your tweets, interesting artwork, and all sorts of good stuff to at Studio Break on Twitter. I do want to thank Skylar Mail, who provides the music at Studio Break. You can check out his amazing artwork at skylarmail.net. And if you are interested, you can always find my work at davidlinaway.com. You'll find plenty of paintings up there as well. So thanks once again for listening. Hope that you enjoyed the episode, and we'll talk to you real soon.